Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as... Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Natasha Exelby. Hello, Steve. This has been, what, three years in the making or something? I've finally done it. Thank you for having me. One of us did move overseas in the middle of this, and it wasn't me. (laughs) I I must admit I have had some reasonable excuses for putting you off for all of this time. Yeah, and then some. And I hope, actually, we'll get to unpack a few of those as we, we talk through this. I want to start, Natasha, by asking, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, what do you mean? If I go out for dinner or something like that, meeting meeting new people at a barbecue? or Yes, all of the things. Uh, it's pretty simple, Steve. Hi, I'm Tash. Nice to meet you. Um, I don't enjoy when people inquire about what I, I do. Um, I, I'm not mm-hmm. great at talking about myself. That's why I became a journalist, so I can talk about other people. And maybe that's another reason I've been so reluctant to come on your show all this time. <laughs> but in the conversations that we've had anecdotally outside this, mm-hmm. once we do start talking about the things that you're passionate about, you're more than happy to go at it, and I think that's amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. I mean, yeah, I, of course, I, uh, I was raised in a house with three older brothers, so from a very early age, I learnt that I needed to speak loud and clear in order to be heard, and sometimes that hasn't always played in my favour. But there's a couple of things in life, whether they be um, petty or more serious, that I am passionate about, and uh, if I can use whatever platform I have to do that, then uh, I think that's a pretty cool way to live. So how do you describe your experience of family? My experience of family, you know what, I had uh, I had an extraordinary childhood. I grew up on a farm. I had three older brothers. My parents, uh, they met, my mother was 14, my dad was 17 when they first started dating. Three years later, they got married, and uh, they've been married now for more than 42 years. Um, wow. So I'm pretty lucky, and and I think they're happier now um, than they ever have been. I think I was, I was the last child to leave and there was a little bit of that empty nest syndrome but that's sort of probably about 16 years ago now and um, the times that I have come back to visit the farm have always been great but I think by the end of it mum and dad are happy to usher me out of the house and have it have it back to themselves um but uh, my my three brothers, uh, we all have really different personalities, but we share a lot of common values. And it's funny, I'm the one who went into public speaking, but if you were to come along to a, a Christmas or barbecue, you'd probably say that I was uh, the most quiet one out of all of them uh, because um, – I've just always been in awe of my brothers. Uh, All of them are naturally smarter than me. They have achieved a lot more in in high school and in in their different life experiences. And all of them have gone on to marry uh, beautiful women and have beautiful children. And and those are things that are hopefully in my future, well, marrying a man, not a a woman, but (laughs) never say never. Um, So, yeah, I've had people to to look up to. I'm, I'm concerned I've been rambling on here a bit steve have i given have i answered the question i think so (laughs) 
So far, so good. But this is the interesting thing, Tash, to hear about the things that are important to you and to hear about the stuff that, you know, makes you tick is is really the core of what this is about. I would imagine, given what you've just said, that like family Christmases when we're sitting around the table or even, dare I say it, afterwards with a cheeky bevy in hand, <laughs> that the conversation would be very, very interesting at your place. Uh, I, I think that you're being a little bit over uh, overly optimistic to think that the cheeky bevy in hand only comes after dinner. Um, that's usually <laughs> around 8 a.m. on Christmas Day. Um, look, we do, we do have um, some pretty colourful conversations. I have one brother who is also a journalist he's a horse uh, he's a sports journalist horse racing another brother who works in hospitality he manages a resort the peppers resort in tasmania and then uh right. i have another brother who is a high school teacher or who is now a deputy principal at a state high school in brisbane and um i love all of my brothers equally but uh he is the one who i sort of grew up with closest in age we were only 15 months mm. apart um, and he's he was uh, extremely talented both at school and also uh, in his sport. He's represented Australia in, in a couple of different sports and I've always been in awe of him. His name's Liam. He actually became a dad when he was 18. It was through an accident uh, with his girlfriend but clearly the best thing that's ever happened to him. So he's now only 35 and he's got a son that's turning 17 this wow. year. Um, and that's my nephew, Ryan, and he's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me as well. Why is your nephew one of the best things that's happened to you? If you if you met him, you you would know. But so my brother um, became a single dad very early on in life when he was about nineteen, um, and mm. then I then moved to Brisbane and through my university, I we all sort of chipped in to help out with um, looking after my nephew from time to time. Um, obviously, my brother did the, carry the heavy load. That's not to say that um, my nephew's mother wasn't involved in his life. Of course, she was, um, but. Um, my 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 uh, brother was definitely a single dad in in every respect, almost. So I can mm-hmm. I've just had points in my life where I'll feel down for whatever reason. Um, maybe something small's happened. Maybe something big has happened, and I'm not sure if anything has ever given me the kind of joy that uh, my nephew's company has. So our our time over the years has graduated from whether it be me picking him up from daycare and taking him to the park to now that he's a little bit older, we, yeah. we go to the movies whenever I'm back in Brisbane or he's developed a bit of a fine palate. So sometimes we'll go out for dinner as well. I have nine nieces and nephews now. Um, so, and I, I love all of them equally, but of course, he was the first to to come along and I often think to myself Steve uh, that the love and passion I feel for my nieces and nephews God help me if I ever have children I'm just going to be one of those lionesses Arnie Tash Christmases and birthdays must make you broke <laughs> 
do, they do. We started a secret Santa type situation uh, this Christmas where you sort of only have to, you know, one cousin buys the other cousin a gift and we were organising this through Facebook Messenger and then one of my brothers said, oh, okay, well, yeah, but because Tash doesn't have kids, we'll make it easy on you. You only have to buy one present for each of the family, so you only have to buy three. And I'm like, how does this work, mate? I'm the one without a child and I have to buy three presents, but you guys are only buying one for one. So, yeah, there's been a couple of fiscal arguments, but, um, (laughs) you know, depleting the bank account on the odd occasion is a small price to pay for uh, the joy I get out of those kids. They put everything in perspective, just the things that come out of their their mouths. Uh, Mm. One of my nieces, Miller, she's four, and uh, last time I was home, uh, we were we were leaving the house, and she said, "Auntie Tash, you've you've got to lock the door." I said, "Oh, I will." She said, "No, you've got to lock the door, or robbers will come in and case the joint." <laughs> I don't is know where she case the joint from. <laughs> I was going to say, is that where Auntie Tash stepped in and said, "Actually, I've been places where they blow you up for less, so don't worry about it." <laughs> Well, that's true. I mean, and, and that's funny as well. You know, um, obviously, I've, I've spent a lot of time over the last eighteen months with with kids who um, who are fleeing for their lives, who've lost their uh, family members through through bombs, and and you know, best case scenario for them is that they're sleeping in the mud and walking twenty kilometres a day to become a refugee. So when I come back and see children in Australia and particularly my own children, I I have to do a reality check on how harsh I am with them because sometimes I think, you know, you're you're behaving like a spoiled brat or you need to suck it up, you know, don't cry because you you dropped your ice cream. Um, But but that's not a responsible way to act either because you um, you can't rob someone of their childhood. Um, and, and you want people to be – I think it's it's great to be as innocent and as ignorant for as long as possible because once you become a, an adult, it can smack you in the face and be really brutal. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I just have to have – to, how would you say, you know, um, measure those two things up, if that makes sense, Steve. Mm, absolutely. I, I guess by extension then, have you found – that your recent experience in covering, you know, these child refugees and some of the bigger issues attached or surrounding them that have forced these situations, has that changed your opinion or your views around refugees or reinforced them? I think that's an interesting question. And and when I come home and I've been speaking to whether it is journalists who are wanting to do a story on me or just people that I'm meeting at a random event, the thing that gets thrown around is, oh, now you must have things in perspective. Um, Or I even, you know, I wrote an article uh, for an online setting and I got uh, frustrated because they made the clickbait um, oh well Natasha now knows what pain really is and and that's not true um, I you know I've, I was a journalist a long time before I moved to Turkey I, I covered mm. wars uh, before I moved to Turkey you know I was in Afghanistan in, in 2011 uh, I saw my first uh, dead dead body uh, when I was 21 um, so I, I've known for quite a while what what a tragedy is but I guess 
the refugee debate is something that's raging right now, not just in our country, but everywhere. We're seeing the rise of people like Donald Trump, Pauline Hanson, Corey Bernardi. Um, and then I see people like Sonia Kruger being crucified for some of the things that she said. Was it about six months ago or so about mm. maybe putting a ban on Muslims coming into our country? And I felt sorry for Sonia uh, with that because I believe that her concerns uh were were spawned out of out of fear, not not out of hate. Mm. I don't think she was trying to create a racial debate. Um, what I have a problem with is extremism on either side, whether you are the far right mm. yeah. or the far left. And I see it in Australia where people will appear on television in an air-conditioned studio wearing a designer suit with several degrees and zero experience and try to tell me what I should think about the refugee movement when I have slept in the mud, I've been in many war zones, I've lost count of the number of times I've been shot at or had rockets fired over my head, I've had the privilege of meeting these people. I have met people who I think we should welcome into our country with open arms and I have met people where I think we should shut the door and leave them to rot because they are not an asylum seeker. They are an economic migrant and uh, mm. so I feel like yeah. I'm quite lucky that because I have had that actual real life experience, um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I feel like I'm a little bit more entitled to an opinion than some of the commentators in Australia right now. Does this mean that we'll start seeing Natasha pop up offering that actual insight from actually being there? <laughs> I mean, look, let's let let's see how we go. I think there are people who are, are better qualified to to do that than me. Um, but I would say that there's also some people who are far less qualified who seem to be very happy giving their opinions. Um, I don't. I don't plan to come back and be some grandstander. Um, when I moved back to Australia, it was a lifestyle change. It was to be closer to my family and friends, um, yeah. to maybe put down some roots. It wasn't to grow, you know, my media career. And, and if that happens as a sidebar, then sure. But that's not my priority right now, Steve. Are you in the place where you thought you would be even five years ago? No way. <laughs> no way. Um, in in so many in so many different forms. I I didn't work out that I wanted to be a journalist until my third year of university. I did a, a double degree in business and journalism, and I always thought mm. I'd go down the business path. Uh, but then when I did work experience in newsrooms, I liked it, and and, and one thing led to another, um, and then. It's actually been a pretty unsettling time uh, the last three years or so because I've always been that person with a plan, you know, uh, yeah. I'll do this for 12 months and then this will happen and then this will happen. And, and that was all working out, you know. I, I did my time in regional television and then I got an opportunity for national television with Channel 10 and I worked in Canberra mm -hmm. and I knew that I'd do that for three years and get to cover an election and then I'd move to Sydney and, um, and, and be a reporter there. And the plan was always... 
for me once being a reporter in Sydney to then be the LA correspondent for Channel 10. Um, of and course, yeah. I did, I did fill in in that position um, for, for a little while. But then different things came up. Uh, the project developed and I started doing some live crosses for them, which then eventuated into um, helping co-host the show and then that presented mm. other presenting opportunities with Channel 10. Um, so so then the, the foreign correspondent thing kind of got kicked to the side alley um, and, and then obviously I certainly didn't think that I'd ever be doing breakfast television and, of course, I got asked to do that. I had a crack. Mm. It was a total disaster and then that forced me to, to reassess and everything since sure. has been, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't see it coming. Because it, it, it was a pretty tumultuous time for you, wasn't it? The move around what happened with breakfast for you, breakfast television and uh, and the change. And, and, and I think, like, I, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that uh, some of what was written around what went on, not just with your exit from the show, but other stuff in it, was fairly damning of some some stuff that went on that was in no way kind of predicted or predictable. Um you know, some of the things that happened, particularly related to, for example, Adam's uh, illness and how he how he progressed through that, mm. just kind of meant that the, the show did get left a little bit up in the air. And when you're trying to launch a multi-million dollar new program to compete against two reasonably embedded other programs, mm. that's just a tough gig to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I look back now uh, on that experience I mean I'll be honest I don't really look back on it much these days uh, I don't mm. think that that's helpful for anyone but uh, I remember at the time you know Adam Bolan um, whether you whether you love him or loathe him you've got to say he is a great salesman I think that guy could sell porn to the Pope you know um, and <laughs> although with the Royal Commission going on maybe maybe any of us could uh, but <laughs> but uh, you know, when I when I had these meetings with Adam and and he talked around his vision, I was so excited and I thought that I was going to be a part of something amazing. Um, and I look back and, and and as you point out, things with Adam's health, uh, it, it created the perfect storm and everything was working against us. But mm. I mean, I'm no expert, but I think that if Adam was even um, at the top of his game and didn't, didn't have those health problems, we probably still would have failed um, because... I mean, there's a reason that the likes of the Today Show and Sunrise are, are, are so successful and Sunrise continued to be incredibly successful long after Adam Boland's departure. Um, and it's not just one man. It's it's the hosts. It's the many of the producers. And, and um, unfortunately, Adam uh, created an environment where he employed people who were probably really smart people, but they didn't have heaps of experience in television uh, so that when he left, there was no one to really um, take over. I mean, there were some very intelligent people there, but it's kind of like sticking me in a NASA control room. You know, I'm a smart girl, but I don't know anything about space. Um, and there were, you know, there were things that were written 
as you say, that weren't true, but there were things that were written that were true, um, and that's that the chemistry wasn't right between myself mm. and and the other hosts, and and that wasn't there, and um, and that's not a reflection on anyone's personalities. It's just uh, that's the way it went, and I think that any, anyone would be foolish to suggest that if we were to do it again, that the three of us should have been put together. We just didn't work. In a bizarre twist of fate, though, and, and, and as painful as that period was for everybody involved, do you think you would have found yourself in Turkey not long afterwards doing the foreign correspondent thing or working for, uh, for television overseas without kind of what went on or without that progression opportunity and then a real kind of sliding doors change of gear moment, wasn't it? Exactly right, exactly right. And I don't want to be one of those people who tries to, you know, always spin the positive and the perceptions on their career. But as I was outlining to you before, I always had the foreign correspondent thing in the back of my mind, uh, but then other opportunities came up at 10 and so it went that way. So then after things ended with 10, I was forced to reassess what I wanted to do. And it was a pretty grim period, you know. Um, I, I, went through, I, I went through a dark time. Uh, when I was first sacked, I, I was fine um, and I was just kind of riding that adrenaline. But it, it definitely had, you know, any, anyone who is close to me will tell you it, it, uh, it, it really rocked my confidence big time. So then um, my mentor who gave me my first job in television sort of started talking to me about going overseas and these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got the best job I've ever had and I think I ever will have uh, in Turkey because I was half uh, foreign correspondent, half anchor. So I'd spend half of my time anywhere in the world with breaking news and the other half I'd be in the studio um, anchoring, you know, hours on end of live breaking news. I feel like it just built my skill set up, you know, immensely um and i just i just got so much experience and it's funny um on twitter the other day someone sent me a a link to um a video clip from from the breakfast show from years ago and for whatever reason i opened it up i was just a bit embarrassed because um at the time, I think I thought I was just being myself or being funny or something, but I was just like, what were you saying there, Tash? What were you doing? There was nothing funny or witty or clever about what you just said. And I fear that even if The Breakfast Show was to be a success, I'm not sure that I would have gone on to be a success um, in the way that I was presenting myself on air and to the public. Um and uh, and so I guess I'm glad that I, I, I had an opportunity to, to reassess that. That's some pretty powerful self-reflection, Tash, yeah. to, to be that aware of, you know, th- this moment in your life. Because this is the joy of television, isn't it? When things go bad, they very rarely go bad in private. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to be able to reflect on that and, and to see that and acknowledge for you that you're looking at your performance in, in part of that team as going, well, that's not me being authentic. I, you know, you're trying, because particularly with a new show, you're trying to find your place in the team. Everybody's trying to, I'm the this person, I'm the guy that does that, I'm the lady that says these things. Exactly. Um, and that's, so there's always that testing out period and, and you have those rehearsals to do that. But until the light goes on and, and you're, you know, the floor manager throws to you guys and you're on air, 
you can do a million rehearsals and it won't make a bell of difference, will it? Oh, exactly. And, you know, I, I have a saying that there's three ways to work out a person's true personality. One is to live with them. Two is to do a business deal with them. Three is to be live on television with them. That's when you work out what people are really like, for better or worse. Yeah, I, yes, I can imagine. What one thing would you change about your life today? Hmm. Gee, that's, uh, you know, I've never thought like that. Um, so that's a difficult, it's a difficult question. Um, you know, I, th- I, I really think things, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I think mm-hmm. that that's just a saying, like, I, I don't think that a parent who has to bury their two-year-old child happens for a reason. But I do think that good comes out of bad. And yep. everything bad that's happened to me in my life, not that it has been particularly tragic, you know, I've, I've had um, a few health problems when I was 19, for example, I, I had cancer and then at 21 that happened again and um, and then obviously more publicly, you know, things like uh, the breakfast show. But um, everything bad has kind of made me a better person, if that makes sense, and made mm. me more compassionate. Um, so I think that I look back at the hardest times in my life where I've been kept up at night, where I've had a panic attack, where I've been crying in a corner, um, which, which has happened from time to time. Strength has come from that. Um, mm-hmm. and I look at the people who are my closest friends and there is an ongoing pattern and that is that the people who I'm very close to in my life have have all experienced on some level some uh, form of profound pain um, and I'm quite drawn to that, if that makes sense, the strength and courage it takes to, to get over that. I was going to ask what, what has sustained you in those times of fear or, or self-doubt or, you know, I guess even the times of darkness around, you know, like your cancer diagnosis. Yeah. So I have an amazing uh, family. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I just, my parents um, would do anything for me and so would my brothers. And uh, I've also got um, some very close good friends because I've had to live interstate for my career, so obviously my family's in Queensland, so Mm. living in Canberra, you know, I made some good friends there who developed like family and the same thing happened when I moved to Sydney and the same thing happened uh, when I moved to Turkey. But um, gee whiz, I have really uh, taken my fair share with my friends over the last few years in the time (laughs) that they have had to be there for me. And my mum talks about friends friendship being like a bank account and you have to make deposits in order to make withdrawals and I yeah, feel yeah. like I was near bankrupt there on occasion so, so hopefully I, I, I try and make as many deposits cool. as I can. <laughs> what challenges you? What is left to challenge you? So much, so much challenges me. Um, <clears throat> when uh, Since coming back I've developed 
uh, I started my own company, a media consultancy. So mm. um, I'm uh, that's presenting a lot of challenges at the moment, but uh, it's also going really well. I'm I'm really excited about it. I've I've got some good um, big corporate clients and it's interesting because it's obviously it's drawing on my experience in the media but I know that in this new role I'm doing my job well if people don't know I exist if that makes sense mm. um, yeah. and you're and you're working things out behind the scenes in terms of publicity so w- w- changing my mindset from a journalist to a businesswoman is is certainly a challenge and um, and I'm really enjoying that I'm, I'm really excited about that I'm, I'm really enjoying um, mingling in the corporate world and, and, and talking to new people and learning differently uh, and, and different things from them because I find that if you've worked in one newsroom, you've, you've worked in them all and they're all the same kind of personality. So it's nice to be um, branching out a little bit. You're having some success with that? I'm paying the rent, Steve. I'm paying the rent. Yeah, um, things 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 are going. Uh, think things are going really uh, better than I'd anticipated. Uh, obviously, I'm still doing journalism as well, um, which which I'm enjoying, and I'm just making sure that I'm very cautious of any ethical boundaries there. Um, mm. But yeah, no things think things are going well. What's your favourite takeaway food choice? <laughs> Mm, interesting choice. Uh, I mean, interesting question. Uh, lately, I've I've developed a bit of a penchant for China Diner, which is like the high end Chinese food. So mm. we're talking pork belly in a pineapple sauce with uh, coriander, garlic, ginger, and Thai chili. Yeah. Um, they've also they've also been doing these pork buns that are just off the hook um, with this like kale and apple slaw. Um, but my favourite cuisine as a whole is Italian. I love I love Italian. But there's not heaps of places in Australia that do it right. Um, mm. So that's always a bit more of a gamble. We we are lucky in the depth and breadth of uh, cuisine choices that we have in this country. But you're right, sometimes not all of them are super excellent. <laughs> no, but we do. We do, like, And that's something that I learned in Turkey as well because obviously they don't have the multicultural diversity that we have. So, I mean, they'll try and do Italian mm. or Chinese, but there are no Italian or Chinese people living in Turkey. So it's not it's not done as well. There is a coffee. There's a lot of Australians living in Turkey though. Um, Aussie Turks. And there's an Australian coffee place in Istanbul. And no matter what time of the day or night, weather conditions, it's always got a line out the door because, um, expats are a huge fan of how we make coffee in this country. We do it right. We do it very right. Mm. And I'm so pleased that I'm living in the age that we can appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Natasha, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, you know what I would like to achieve more than anything? Uh, and that's a state of mind of being content. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be excited or happy or uh, sad, but 
never in my life have I been at a stage where I'm like, do you know what? I've got it pretty good right now and I should just chill out. And when I say chill out, I don't mean stop trying or stop rocking up to work, but just, just enjoy it. And, um, and I think I, I've always, always been like, what's next? What's next? Got to do this to get there. And then I'm going to do mm. this and then I'm going to do that. And, and look, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm ambitious and, and I've enjoyed success from that. But I guess, you know, after things went uh, pear-shaped with the breakfast show and I had time to reflect, you know, I was, you know, in, in my late 20s uh, earning really good money, uh, getting great exposure and probably just taking it a little bit for granted. Mm. So, yeah, my goal is to be content. But that also doesn't mean I don't want to be wildly successful, Steve. For sure. But I think that some of the most successful people in their public lives don't have particularly successful personal lives. Um, and that's really sad. And I just don't want to be one of those people. It's how we measure the success often is that re- reveals the caliber of who we truly are, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement. Hey, Tash. Hey, Steve. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I, I'm sorry if I got too deep or not deep enough on, on some occasions. No, it was note perfect. Mind blown many a time and I think that's a good thing. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank you so much for um, being interested in me. I was out of the country for a long time and uh, you still you still remember to touch base and uh, I, I'm also very aware that um, throughout my career when things have gone well and when things have gone badly, you've always sent me a, a, a tweet or encouragement and you've never tried to um, manipulate that relationship in any way and uh, I'm forever grateful for that. My pleasure, mate. It's all about playing a straight bat. Indeed. If people wanted to find you on the internet, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, are you talking like Tinder or something, Steve? <laughs> if you wish to reveal your Tinder profile, Tash, that's up to you. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I've, my my new my new business is called XLB Media. So it's a play on my name, but it's XLB. Um, and so you'll have my, my contact details there. I've got to admit, I've been a little bit slack on Twitter and I need to um, – get get more on board there but um if you are wanting to communicate with me i do try to touch base as much as i can and um i'm i'm really grateful for the support that i have had throughout my career um and and um and i know that without different people's support i i would be nowhere and and even since i've been back in australia and on abc and i've had people tweet me and say it's great to have you home well i'm just flattered that they even were aware that i was gone in the first place you know so that's really really mm. lovely that people take the time out to do that but also um instagram i'm getting better on that so it's xlb natasha is my handle there this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Natasha Exelby is indeed human. <laughs> Thanks, Steve.